everyone, and welcome to the second episode of EPMI Cast. I'm Alex Cadet, Marketing Manager at EPMI. As we're recording today, it's 200 days away from December 21st, 2021. On December 21st, Oracle will be stopping support for Hyperion. So our EPMI cast today, we'll be discussing what that all means, um, what organization, what options organizations have, and what a shift to the cloud really entails. Before I kick it off to Nihar to start the discussion, I'd like to have a quick shout out to Odtug and Casco 21. We'll be debuting this episode during that time, and we are excited to meet our colleagues and learn from them. So with that being said, Nihar, you want to kick it off? Thank you, Alex, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. This is Nihar Parikh, uh, one of the co-founders here at EPMI, and today we're here to talk about Hyperion and the cloud. And for those of uh, you that know EPMI, you know our focus is enterprise performance management or the Hyperion suite of products that Oracle acquired back in 2007 and has been since 2014 or so shifting all of their on-premise customers to the cloud as we all adopt a new software as a service model. I am again, Nihar Parikh, and I'll be your moderator or organizer today along with Alex. But um, I've got in the room with me, Carissa, Brian, and on the phone live from San Antonio, Terry Schlather, our Vice President of Sales. Terry, if you want to introduce yourself. Hey guys, as Nihar mentioned, Terry Slather, Vice President of Sales for EPMI. Uh, my background spans the whole back office, uh, a couple of different software entities in uh, the software space. And then I've spent the last couple of years focusing specifically on implementation around EPMs in the cloud. Brian. Hello everyone, I'm Brian Vogt. I have been working in the EPM space now for three years. And prior to that, I have 20 years experience as a corporate controller, um, doing everything from financial planning and analysis, tax work for a multinational geophysical company here in Houston, Texas, as well as general ledger accounting and all the simple stuff that that entails. Thank you. Hi, I'm Carissa Jones. I'm a senior consultant within EPMI's planning practice. Uh, prior to joining EPMI, I worked in oil and gas for about 10 years in the FPNA group and worked with Hyperion on-prem of all things. So I'm excited to talk about the shift now from uh, on-prem to the cloud. All right. Thanks, Carissa. So um, I guess, you know, to kind of kick off the conversation, you know, I know that you guys have been spending a lot of times on these cloud projects and taking a lot of customers to the cloud from on-premise and, you know, what does that, that really even mean, right? I mean, we talk about cloud applications in, in a variety of contexts and, you know, um, you know, the way I kind of think about it, I guess, in my mind is we've got the infrastructure as a service, the platform as a service applications and the software as a service applications. And, you know, what we typically deal with now in the cloud is either moving customers from an infrastructure that they had on-premise with Hyperion to an infrastructure that's hosted in the cloud or maybe on virtual servers or into another data center, or there's the applications that we're moving into a software as a service delivery model. Um, you know, where have you seen, you know, most of the customer demand, I guess, Terry, let's put that to, uh, to you to think, uh, get your thoughts on that. Um, so it's interesting because really a lot of what we see depends on how an organization is structured. Um, in some organizations, a lot of application decisions live inside IT. In some organizations, a lot of applications uh, decisions live inside the line of business. And we're seeing a shift with this today. Um, but if you if, if we 
talk to an organization where IT drives a lot of the application decisions, um, we see generally a upgrade first mentality where the line of business drives decisions. There seems to be a, a, a bigger appetite to move to the cloud because they see it as an inflection point for um, improving their processes as well, not just changing their technology. So a lot depends on what the customer's dynamic is inside their organization. But even the customers where there is more of an IT driven decision uh, process, um, we're seeing even if they want to upgrade to 11.2 of Hyperion on-premise, they are at least road mapping how they will get to the cloud within the next year or two. So um, it, it seems like even someone we might call a late adopter is thinking in the next 18 to 24 months, they would move to the cloud. Okay. And so, Brian, you know, you mentioned you were a controller for many years at an organization where um, you were kind of on the client side. Um, did, was there ever any um, thought as to, you know, what the advantages might be of going to a software as a service delivery model versus hosting your own applications? And what are your thoughts around that? So when we decided to move from hosting to a software as a service, it was, it was a big eye opener for us because for, I don't mean, you know, for lack of a better word, we've been using the same system since like 1978. We still were printing stuff on green bar paper. I'm not kidding. So moving to the cloud was a huge change for us, but as, as Terry was saying, or at least I think what she was alluding to was the, the chance to transform your process. And, you know, from what I just said, you can tell our processors were incredibly antiquated. Everything was on paper. We hand wrote out everything. And this was a chance for us to not only bring in automation and save a lot of time, gain efficiencies and add, add more items to make our processors more robust. And the ease of it was astonishing from what we thought we had been used to, because of course you always think your process is the best. And then it turns out it's terrible. But the idea of moving to a cloud software solution versus on-premise two was a, another chance to make it easier for everyone to work. Yeah. So, so that's really exciting, right? Because there's not, like Terry mentioned, there are some IT you know, factors that go into maybe upgrading an application or moving it to the cloud. There's, there's, there's also some benefits to be taken out of some softwares or service best practices and things like that, that are already pre-built and enabled. Because I remember when we were implementing on-premise applications, um, everything had to be customized. And it seems like nowadays there's a lot more um, pre-built in terms of functionality and um, the way we um, kind of deploy the applications, right? So, you know, I know Carissa, you've had some real world experience actually taking customers to the cloud. Have you noticed anything that, um, you know, beyond you know, the, the fact that, sure, it's, it's upgraded automatically, it's maintained, it's always on, but what does the business get out of it? Um, I mean, everything just operates a lot quicker. Uh, I've done several projects where we've migrated from on-prem to the cloud, and during the process, we can help them, you know, gain efficiencies and um, better their processes and while doing so. And, you know, we've seen things We've, we've seen clients very happy with how fast things process and, um, you know, the easeability of, of doing their work is much better with the cloud. Yeah. And I think that that's clear, right? And, and the technology always trans, tends to get better over time. Um, is there, um, you know, is there, is there something that your customers specifically found that maybe, you know, a pre-built module or a framework that 
you know, as before they were doing things more kind of manual. Well, what are some yeah. of the, I guess, the trade-offs, right? Because it, it can be exactly what the customers want because they've got to, you know, change their processes from what they're doing today. So there's always some hesitancy or some kind of, a, I guess, um, resistance, right, in that right. exercise. But what is what is the um, the benefit that they get from that? And, and what is the trade-off, I guess, both, both sides of it? Well, so yeah, um, a good example is I had a manufacturing client that had a workforce, like a very customized on-prem application and we're trying to do their workforce planning in there. And then when we moved them to the cloud, we were able to uh, utilize the out of the box, um, you know, functionality of workforce planning and really, I mean, there was some customization involved, but now they had, they could see, oh, they had more detail into their workforce planning process. And then it was, I mean, it completely changed the game for them and where it wasn't just a headcount number, it was, you know, salaries and all these details that they were able to get from their um, source data. So that was definitely an efficiency I've seen gained. I mean, the out of the box functionality is um, that comes with all the EPM applications is, is highly functional and easy to use and um, quickly quick to implement. Yeah, it seems a lot like how when we, you know, when we first had smartphones, you know, we had the Windows phone. I don't know if you remember that, Brian. Oh yeah. Um, but it was basically a, a phone that looked a lot like a Windows desktop with the start menu and your programs and your different files and folders. But then, you know, when when the iPhone came out, it was, it was a whole new world, right? I mean, we were we're talking apples and oranges, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and um, you know, the fact that you had a phone where even you know my my one year old can can play with it and and manipulate it without having an instruction manual, any courses, anything like that. It's just a completely new ball game. So, you know, I think that what you're saying, Chris, reminds me of the iPhone, where you know you have these these um, leading practices that have been developed over time on premises, but then now have been consolidated so that you know 80 to 90 percent of the functionality that even though we understand organizations are unique, just like people are unique, but a lot of people use phones the same way organizations use applications, right? You know, we walk into clients and, and everyone thinks their process is going to be unique, really difficult. Really like, oh, you've never seen this before, but 90% of it, you've probably seen before. It's just that little 10% that makes it a little bit different, but 100% of the time you can manage it within the normal out-of-the-box functionality. You don't have to do a lot of hoops and hurdles. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just definitely um, a, a shift of mindset. And, you know, we see that, um, you know, beyond just the fact that, you know, there are there are a lot of other advantages to, you know, moving to the cloud, right? Like everything from the electricity in the data center to the data that shows up on your screen is now managed by uh, a third party or the cloud vendor, right? And so when you get an application or you sign up for an application, you get a URL in your email, you click on it. That's and cool. we were talking to a customer an hour ago, Terry, it's like, I clicked on it and I haven't hit enable yet because I don't want to turn it on yet, but that's all I have to do. Yeah. Right. I was so, pretty impressed that they realized that that would turn on their service, right? Because it's a different, it's a shift in mentality because they're coming off of S-Base. So they're used to, you know, standing up infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. There's all this pre-work that's required that goes into procuring servers and setting right. up the network and the hardware firewalls setup. and the hardware just before, you know, all before you could even get started, you know, on the business process. So that's been really refreshing for me, honestly. And I'm an infrastructure guy. That's where I started my career. And the fact that I never have to install Hyperion anymore is phenomenal. Never say never. 
<laughs> I mean, the first step was always to plug it into the wall. Now you don't have to do that anymore. Exactly right. Plug and play. And it's, it feels like it truly is plug and play now. Um, so I know that we've got um, some, you know, this is an interesting time also because a lot of our customers, um, especially, you know, the 10,000 plus whatever customers that are on premises, um, you know, they've, they've got a decision point to make now. And that decision is, is do we, do we stay with Hyperion and the version that we have that, you know, is losing all of the, uh, the on-premise support? I mean, not all of it, but some of it. Um, or do we, do we upgrade to the cloud version of EPM? Um, or do we look at another tool set, right? That's really, I think, where a lot of customers are focused on is, you know, do we do we stay with what we have? Do we go to the new version that Oracle's got? Or do we look at something else as a part of that? Um, Terry, any insight there on, on how those decisions are being made? Yeah, so, I mean, ROI is always a big factor, right? We all have to justify how we spend company money. Uh, so we, we see it coming down to ROI a lot of the time. And quite frankly, um, I hate to offend the infrastructure guy, but the costs associated with uh, upgrading to 11.2 aren't insignificant because it is an out of place upgrade. It does require new infrastructure. Uh, so there's, there's costs involved there. Um, not to say that there aren't costs involved in implementing the cloud tool, uh, but they, they're a little bit more palatable. So they're a little bit less than, than the upgrade if you don't have resources in house. Um, and quite frankly, if you if you upgrade to 11.2, there's still the need to up, upgrade or move to the cloud later. Uh, people who are adopting it now are realizing that this is really, um, to quote Oracle, the last upgrade they'll ever have to do because to, to, to borrow the, the reference to life with an iPhone, um, it's, you know, you sort of hit update once a month, right? I mean, it's more involved than that, I understand, but... Um, but you get a monthly update. You don't have to do these big upgrades ever again once you go to the cloud. So when push comes to shove, I think people are looking at um, what's the functionality benefit we're gonna get long-term? What's the ROI? Where is the maturity of our organization? And, and what are our IT resources to be able to support one project versus the other? And putting that all together and sort of weighing what makes sense for their organization. Okay. Yeah. And so to get really specific here, Terry, what is um, the, the specific version that is now available? Let's say customers say, you know what, the cloud is great, but it's just not the right time for us. We have to get up and running. We've only got six months until our on-premise support is not fully available to us anymore. Um, what, what, what are my options? What version do I have to go to? What does that look like? Sure. So um, you can go, you can upgrade on-premise to Hyperion 11.2. Like I said, there's an infrastructure refresh that happens with that, or you can migrate to the Oracle EPM cloud. Um, there's a couple uh, flavors available of that. The majority of people will need to go to the Oracle cloud EPM enterprise edition, which um, gives you access to all of the EPM processes. Um, so for those of you who have on-premise Hyperion today, you know, you bought HFM separate from planning, separate from, was it HSF was, uh, am I saying that right? For strategic modeling, strategic yep. finance. So you had to license all of those separately in the cloud. It's all one. Um, so, so those are sort of your options, or you could stay on, uh, lose, lose premier support and stay on your existing, um, 
instance, but that introduces a level of risk that most auditors aren't going to be super happy with. Right. So, so now we've got an option, right? We, we can either upgrade, we can go to the EPM enterprise, or we can look at another tool set, assuming that we don't want to, you know, shift off of the Oracle platform. Um, yeah, I assumed nobody wanted to look at a different tool set because once you've used Hyperion or S-Base, do you want to let it go? Yeah, how can you go higher than number one, right? Yeah. Um, but but as soon as but as soon as you say okay well I do want to upgrade and you know Carissa you shed some light on some of the the pre-built framework that we have available in planning what about from an account reconciliations or financial close perspective Brian what are some of the changes that have happened there from the on-premise to cloud right um, so recently we did a project where we moved people from on-premise to cloud from ARM to ARCs and there's been a there's been from ARM to ARCs, the changes were not hugely severe, but the ease of use is noticeably different. The user set we have that we're dealing with right now have been very pleased with the accessibility, especially in, you know, as much as I hate to say it, in today's work environment with a lot of us being offsite and remote and not on site, the ease of use for that has, for them has been fantastic. And the access points, the signing in, not being timed out, it's just a, it's a totally different ballgame from what they've been doing and dealing with in the past. Um, financial closing consolidation, I have my, my experience with the uh, on-premise application is, is minimal, but as far as the cloud application goes, I, I think it's one of the better ones. And having come from an experience of having to close and consolidate 13 different organizations in 13 different countries with 13 different currencies, that application is not difficult to use. Lucky number 13. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and I do have a little bit of experience with the consolidations piece. Um, you know, there's been a replatform, right? That's happened with um, Hyperion Financial Management and now it's Financial Closing Consolidations Cloud. Um, it's, a, it's a mouthful, that's for sure. That's not the only change that's happened, right? It's also gone from, you know, a relational model or a rollout model to S-Base, um, kind of being that core engine for consolidations. Of course, Oracle's still got, you know, quite a, quite a legacy, uh, to say the least, of relational database. So it's still part of the platform. But, you know, now that we have S-Base available throughout and permeating throughout the entire EPM platform, I think that, you know, users find it kind of a refreshing change because that, that S-Base is that, that kind of that magic sauce across the ERP and EPM platform that allows for, you know, quick analysis, quick reporting, um, being able to analyze at the speed of thought, right, as we used to say, so that we can really come up with new scenarios or what if versions uh, with a simple right click rather than having to, you know, recreate or, or, or modify all of our rows and columns in a spreadsheet to get a new scenario running, right? And so, um, you know, just the fact that now that we've got one, the infrastructure is gone, right? So there's there's no time in, in prerequisites and setup. On day one, we start requirements gathering. We can prototype within the application rather than having to prototype on a piece of paper or a whiteboard. Um, if we wanted to add a, de a dimension, which is adding a new way to analyze the data, it's not it's not a a, um, a week long or a months long activity. It's right click, delete, and recreate a new application overnight, right? There's no Again, no database, no middleware to set up, uh, all the things that go into to making the engine run. Um, you know, I'm just curious to see, um, I guess, what other changes there might be. I know that reporting was a big piece of that project that you guys did. Maybe Carissa, 
you want to shed some light on how reporting's changed? Uh, yeah, I mean, narrative reporting is um, a huge positive benefit that EPM Cloud now has compared to on-prem FR reports. I mean, I taught a client how to build reports in less than an hour. It's very easy to use, um, and you know, compared to compared to FR. And yeah, yeah. I think there, but I think there's something big in what Carissa just said. She taught a client how to build reports. She didn't yeah. teach IT how to build reports that the business asked for, right? And that's a big change too, because a lot of organizations have been waiting for IT to help them with reporting or help them with any changes inside the tool on premise. Um, and, and IT staffs aren't getting bigger in most cases, they're getting smaller. So it's harder to get the time and attention of them. Um, so it's, it's a huge improvement in the cloud that the, the line of business users are enabled to do a lot more inside the tool and do a lot of maintaining um, their, their environment themselves. They can truly own their tool for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, yeah, to add to that, I mean, I would say that it kind of brings like the IT and the admin and the end user experience together more because with the cloud, um, narrative reporting and informs you can run a report, you can edit a report all from the same place, um, and forms as well. So uh, it just makes you know editing on the fly uh, a huge, a, a bigger you know advantage for any administrator of the application um, when it comes to forms and reports in, in the cloud. Yeah, I know one of the things that you know was always a challenge um, when when we we're implementing on-premise applications is is you know the business loses you know a lot of flexibility when they move off of excel or you know this, their little shadow systems that they have it and the executive team usually want one application or one system so that they can manage and have more standardization in their processes not auditability and things like that um and so you know being able to marry the two where you can still work inside excel for reporting but you know leverage the system to produce those fully formatted type of reports, I think would be a huge benefit. Just breaking down the ability to be connected is different than it used to be, right? Um, because there were very siloed functions on premise. You worked inside HFM or you worked inside Hyperion planning. Um, it, it wasn't always necessarily same look and feel, same platform across business processes. Um, so one of the things that I think Oracle did really well when they, um, recoded and purpose-built for the cloud was really to sort of break down those silos so you could coordinate your your finance and accounting teams across all of those business processes um, so that you truly have like a connected solution, right? Um, everybody has, is in the same look and feel, um, same UI. Uh, so if somebody participates in several of those business processes, it's not like they're coming in and out of, of different applications to try to get that done. They're working on it all inside the same platform. It also um, limits the number of data integrations you have, right? Because you, you feed it into the EPM cloud once and it feeds all the processes that you need it to feed. Uh, so there's some advantages to usability um, just across the office of the CFO, for lack of a better term. Yeah, no, I mean, to add to that, uh, we're on a project right now where we're migrating on-prem to the cloud for ARCs, planning, and task manager. And now it's like all on the same platform, same homepage. So accounting, finance, anyone who you know might cross over into different groups or an executive can just go to one homepage 
and set their navigation flows and then see everything that they need to right in the same, you know, web interface. And that task manager is a, a game changer, right? Because it goes across all of the different processes and you do the task and it automatically and dynamically checks it off for you. So it's, it's like everybody has visibility into what, where everything is at the moment that it happens, which is not the way um, most organizations worked previously. Yeah, so there's two things that I got there, right? One was that you have, uh, uh, from a top-down view, you have visibility to the entire process and where things are. But as an individualized user, I have a custom-tailored user experience, like my own Facebook is unique to me, right. just like your own Facebook is unique to you. And so it helps you do your job your way, the way you want. And I think that's, that's extremely powerful because, honestly, we didn't have the time when it was non-premise implementation to get through that type of customization, even though the technology might've been available, um, I feel like the implementations just wouldn't allow for it because of timeline and budget constraints typically. So get on that topic though, Terry, how have implementations changed from an on-premise to a cloud implementation or have they? No, it's a tremendous difference. Um, so in the on-premise days, you would you know sit down with your consultants and do a requirement session and sort of map out exactly what you needed, make sure your design was intact, and the design would get locked down. Your, your implementation team would go into a closet somewhere where you didn't see them for weeks at a time, where they like typed on keyboards and built inside a black box, coded a bunch of stuff to make sure that you could do what you wanted to do. Then they brought it back to you at the end and said, here's your bright new shiny application. Let's test it. Um, it it's a very different world in the cloud. Um, it's a much more iterative and much more collaborative process, I think. Um, so, you know, we go in and do uh, the same sort of requirement sessions, right? So we still want to get your feedback and how are we going to tweak and change your process and make you better in the cloud. Um, but instead of locking down that design and running away into a closet to, to, to develop and build, um, our consulting team gets together, starts working on your application and throughout build, they, they come back to you and, and show you the product live as it's being developed. Um, so you actually get to see your baby being born, right? You get to see it in process, make changes to it, even during um, the build phase of an implementation project. So really your design isn't locked down until you start testing. And even then some tweaks get made along the way, but it's, it's a much more, just as the cloud makes the finance team uh, more transparent, uh, a cloud implementation project is much more transparent. The team knows what's going on as it's going on. And I think the cool thing about that is not just that they get to see it develop over time, but they're exposed to it so much during the process that user adoption increases significantly because they feel like they own the tool because they were part of that build phase. It wasn't just, I gave you some requirements, but uh, you know, I helped you build the baby. Yeah. I was always, you know, surprised by the fact that, you know, when I, when I finished college, you know, many years ago now, but not as many years as Brian or some other folks. Um, and the reason Hush. why I say Brian is because, is because when I graduated and I started consulting in my career, I, I heard a statistic that more than half of IT projects fail. And to me, that was just unacceptable. I mean, how could 
how could any executive sponsor a project with less than a 50% shot of success? Um, any idea why that was the case? No, but we have seen our fair share of IT projects fail. So, and I worked for an offshore geophysical company and we had IT projects all over the place. And really what it was, was, I mean, when I started working, which was as Nihari had raised way before he did, I had the first email address at my company. I'm, I'm not joking. Um, but we were a little bit behind the times. So our IT projects were trying to experiment on what kind of computers we would get everyone, trying to experiment on what kind of servers we would have. So they weren't even necessarily software projects or serve you know, uh, application projects. They were just, how do we make our business work? How do we get everyone on the internet? What is the internet? And when we started getting into more software and doing things like our accounting system, our ERP system and items like that, we had a lot of big ticket items fail. We did a migration from one, you know, on-premise application to a second on-premise application and it went horribly. And then we had to start over again and it took another year to do. So I think it was just lack of expertise, what people thought IT was, how hardware was, how software was, and how, I mean, there weren't educated people back then on how things worked. You were, you were left up to the salesmen and or their service providers to get things done. There wasn't people, there weren't people who understood this kind of stuff back then. And I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with. I'm sure I'm wrong, but. Well, I don't even know if that's changed. I mean, it could still be that half of projects fail. I just, um, I just know that half of our projects don't fail. And so I don't know if it's a function of the times or if it's a function of the way we operate. I've only worked here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, th I do think that, you know, to be, to be very um, fair, um, it is the technology, right? I mean, it's the fact that we're not having to worry about standing up applications and restarting services and making sure that the systems are up and running and the pipes are clean. It's more so about making sure that we get the business what they want. And, um, and also um, the fact that, you know, we, we still need IT involvement, right? I mean, you're never going to get away from that. But I think what we're doing is reallocating the way they spend their time rather than having this have their time, you know, spent on keeping the lights on. I think it's more so around being a true business partner, understanding the data for them, making sure that they have the right access, the right delegations, the right um, center of excellence in place to manage the applications going forward. But really the business is the one are the, are the ones that are managing the applications. Right. Um, so, you know, once you put the power back into the people that own the systems, there's maybe a higher likelihood of success. Absolutely. I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think too, that the, the, the scale sort of changed when technology became a part of everybody's everyday personal life and not just their business life. Cause there was a time where your computer was just for work or, you know, my big brick cell, cell phone was only used in an emergency for work, but now everybody walks around with a pretty powerful computer in their in their pocket that initially was meant to make phone calls on, but now is used for Snapchats and selfies. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're using that on a day-to-day -day basis, not just at work, but in our day-to-day -day lives, communicating with friends and family, which makes everybody more comfortable with technology, which makes technology in the workplace a little easier to consume. So, I, and I kind of feel like uh, software providers or application developers who make applications that feel more like what people use in their personal life helps efficiencies in their professional life. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, 
there's definitely now less of a okay we've got to drag them across the bridge rather than you need to walk them across the bridge and um i think that is because of what you said terry in that you know there's an expectation that when you know um the new i guess um the the i'll call them young i'll call them the millennial workforce is going to work you know they want to make sure that they can do their job just like they would online with their how they communicate with their friends or their family right right and um, you know, well and, you know i've got a 19 year old daughter so she's generation z right she was born during the iphone era she doesn't know what it's like to not carry a, a, a pretty powerful computer with her everywhere she goes um and so can you imagine someone like that walking into a workplace and not being introduced to really up-to-date and modern technology like if she went to go work for somebody and and her computer was some sort of green screen system she, she'd be she had to print useless. out wait, she had to print something out to make it <laughs> right work. right so it was she would be as, as useless if you asked her to write a check or dial yes. a, yes. A, a dial telephone right she'd be like what is this i don't understand so there's also if you want to compete for the best workforce moving forward you have to stay forward in technology because these generations behind us expect it it's not it's not a nice to have like it was when i first went to work and brian first went to work now it's a need to have if you want to compete for top talent wow yeah i mean and it's it's very true i mean we we have this this same situation where where we work every day where we're always looking for top talent and um you know there's there's definitely a different level of expectation on the um not only the work um usability and easeability, but also just the way we work, right? Somebody mentioned earlier working remotely, um, you know, that's the new norm. And um, it seems like that's, that's not going away. Uh, and if it is, you know, it's probably for the organizations that really require some on-site presence, but for what we do and for what a lot of people do, especially in finance and accounting organizations, it can be done pretty well remotely. Um, as long as, you know, you're, you're a self-starter and you don't sleep on the job, you can probably get through <laughs> Almost anything that you would in the office at home, um, you know. In fact, you get a little bit more sleep because you don't have to commute. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a fact. Or spend ten minutes trying to log into your Citrix via five hundred passwords and VPN. Yeah, that too. I'd rather do that Hell than yeah. commute to you know some places. But yes, I mean, I've I have a lot of friends and a lot of family that are working in places now that where they're going hybrid or not going one hundred percent back in the office or some of their former factor. I had very few friends who have gone back to 100% in-person mode to date. Yeah. yeah I, so quite, I quite enjoy not like searching for a parking spot in the parking garage every morning, <laughs> right? Because that was like a good five to seven minutes of your day. Yeah. <laughs> so like if you think about the, um, the, the benefits around, okay, well now let's say I'm, I'm an existing organization with an on-premise tool. I have to have the servers, the VPN, the firewalls, the network, the the upgrades, the maintenance. And I mean, for us, it's a no brainer, but I'm trying to think of a situation where, where when does it make sense to stay on premise? Just just play devil's advocate here. A bank where banks going to have a brick and mortar foundation because they're still going to have to service customers. You don't have to chase that. The chase online banking. Well, no, I do, but I mean, I'm still thinking that there are still people that go into a bank. I do, I do. 
Yes, I'm go, not that old. You go into the bank. I'm not that old where I have the Chase app. Yes, I am not that old where I have to go cash a check <laughs> if I want cash. I use the anytime, anytime money machine. <laughs> but I, I, I was trying to think of that the other day where a company might need it, and a bank was about the only one that came to mind for me. And a lot of that also still has to do with regulations and stuff. But I mean, almost everything else you you can function without a brick and mortar foundation. And that's going to be the other thing too, right? Is all these people have the on-premise applications. They're going to be like, yeah, we can get rid of our whole company and we can make everyone work from home, but we still got 10,000 square feet of computers and servers that we have to run this application on. Right. So there could be situations where there's already been a massive investment made and hasn't been, excuse me, fully utilized yet. Right. And so, um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, you're fine. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, we, you know, Nihar, you and I talked to a customer the other day. They have a plan to get to the cloud, but they know they can't do it today, right? They don't have the, the resources in terms of people or money to do it right now, but they don't want to go off premier support because they know that that um, introduces a level of risk. And they have an IT team that is sufficient enough to get them through the upgrade, right? They need minimal external help. So for them, it seemed like the internal investment of time and energy to buy them another nine to 18 months before they moved to the cloud made sense. Um, and I think there, there are circumstances like that. I think you know, my preference is always move to the cloud. I think that's just easier. And if you're gonna spend the time and money and resources, do, do it right the first way. Uh, kind of mentality, but I think there are some some organizations where maybe you put off the decision a little too late, um, where your back is up against the wall. If you can't get business buy-in to really evaluate the business processes, should you be looking to go to the cloud, which is a perfect inflection point to reevaluate those processes. So I think there are some circumstances. Um, I, I don't think everybody has to go right this very moment. Um, I would like you all to line up and say, I'm ready to go to the cloud, but it's just, it's just not the reality. And, and from time to time, we'll find somebody who's got the internal resources, um, the inability to get cloud through a decision-making process um, and, and a, a path to get them there eventually uh, where an upgrade makes sense. Okay. Well, at least it's good to know that there's still an option for those of uh those of our customers that still have, you know, they're on the fence or they, they've got it on the roadmap, but it's just not quite the right time. Um, you know, we talked about banks, you know, I, I remember during the pandemic when everything was shut down for at least two weeks in, in most cities. Um, I think the only thing that, that um, we probably couldn't get instantly if we wanted to was groceries. Um, you know, there was Instacart and those types of things available to us, but I seem to recall there wasn't always available during that time where you had to still kind of go in, but almost every other business I feel like shifted to, to an online delivery model. Um, and, and banks, you know, it's ironic that you mentioned that because um, in some ways there's some, they're at the forefront of technology, especially managing information. Right. And, and a lot of these applications that we work with today are really built off some of those processes that banks kind of uh, were pioneers of. Right. You walk into a bank now and you don't even see anybody anymore. Right. You deal with a, you deal with a glass fronted computer teller. And the only reason I brought up banks is it's just the federal laws don't allow them to be closed more than two days in a row. 
So they can't go completely remote. Sure. That was that was it. Other than that, I I don't know what other kind of industry yeah. would, would would could could completely dissolve their footprint and yeah. run something like that, or wouldn't maybe want to. Yeah, and, and it seems like the revolution is happening across the board. I don't know if you know NASA dropped a briefcase somewhere or what <laughs> happened, but it seems like there's technology coming to to airplanes even where you know it's such a such an antiquated industry and they've been they're kind of operating in the same legacy analog mode for so long and everything's becoming you know gps digital they've got text-based communications for air traffic control now it's it's phenomenal i mean and that's still probably 30 years behind every other industry right. but it's still a leap forward right so um i guess um you know we talked about a lot of things today um you know really what we're trying to do is figure out you know how we can assist customers in this journey because it's you know, we have these generational shifts every, you know, 20 or 30 years, I guess, based on history, where you went from, uh, you know, a, a, a um, what do they call them, the punch card machines. My dad used to tell me about those when he was working at digital. And then they, they went to the, the, the mainframe systems to, uh, I guess, vacuum tubes to mainframe systems to server client. And, and now we're, we're cloud um and phones right? right essentially cloud and mobile and social and um i wonder what the next thing is going to be but it seems like for this piece um we're, we're right in the heart of the middle of that transition and um you know for, for customers that are on the fence um that are looking at how why and when it seems like it's you know um the how is is um is easy um you know it's it's a lot lot smoother of a transition seems to be a lot more success the why is because if you don't do it you're obsolete and if you're if it's not if you're not obsolete you're not relevant uh well not if you're not obsolete you're not relevant if you don't if you're not if it's not because you're obsolete it's because yeah. it's you're not, not going to be relevant right you're not going to be able to attract the workforce you want or provide the customer service that you need to and the, the why is um is, is similar to that i'm sorry is, that is the why but the when is is now um you know we've got six months left until support runs out. Um, we've got, um, you know, a, a mature suite of products in the cloud that have been tried and tested with thousands of customers and, and tens of thousands, if not more users and, um, and hundreds or thousands of successful implementations. So um, uh, anything um, you guys think that might be valuable for other folks that are making this decision right now? Yeah, I do. I think um, talking about timing, you know, say, you know, end of December, you're out of support. Um, so what should you, should you do right now? Hey, I've got budgets coming up. Um, they start in September, October. Like, is it feasible for me to, to migrate to the cloud by then? And, you know, I think that the, that timing expectation from clients is important to know that like, yes, we can get you migrated quickly, lift and shift, and then get you, you know, in the cloud in time for budgets. And, and then we can talk about enhancements and phases after that. I think that's a, a fantastic segue into our next episode, Alex. We should talk about the path to the cloud. So once you decide, hey, we're ready to go, what is the path to get there? Can we get live before December or October or whatever the time frame might be? It depends, right? I mean, it I think as little as 12 weeks is what we typically say. But, um, you know, to be quite honest, for an organization with thousands of users and with uh, multinational operations, it may not be that they get every application in the cloud right away, but there's ways 
we can mitigate that by lifting and shifting to your point. So um, with that being said, I want to thank everybody for their participation today. Brian, Carissa, Terry, Alex, thank you so much. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for indulging us. Um, this has been a, another episode of EPMI Cast, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.